This is a Media Lab podcast. Dave, do you think we need a posse? A possum? I, they're pretty gross. Oh, sorry. Say that again? No, sorry. I meant the plural of possums. Posses. Oh, a several possums. Uh, multiple holding possums. shotguns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Do we have enough horses? Do possums ride horses? Listen, I know, I, I know this deep and rich fiction that we've been building around this. Some people may not have heard, but I did steal some diamonds here a few episodes back. Well, I mean, Dave likes to use the word steal. I like to use the word took an opportunity and, oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. and appropriated <laughs> some wealth into, into my own pockets. Mm. And that person is not giving up and they've been giving chase here for quite a while. So I don't know what to do other than throwing possums at him. It seems like the most logical next step. You know what? I think we should find out where they live, murder everybody mm-hmm. that lives with them, and then meet them somewhere in a random town for a good old fashioned shootout. All right. You got it. So we go straight to murder. Yes. I like the way you think, Dave. On a rinky-dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm Dave. Should we do like Pilgrim? Pilgrim? Please don't. And I'm the machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. And then another apocalypse happened. Somehow it's used its power to transport us across time and space. So now we're on our way back to Earth. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today we're going to be watching the film Big Jake. Fane stops at Ming. Bank robberies, train robberies, and killing. Fane and his gang raided the McCandles ranch and kidnapped little Jake McCandles. They held him for one million dollars in ransom. They weren't afraid of the army, and they weren't afraid of the Texas Rangers. And they thought his grandfather, Big Jake McCandles, was dead. He wasn't. It took a million dollar kidnapping to bring Big Jake back home to his family, to his son, James. Good morning, Daddy. All right. Well, of course, a big thank you to our Patreon supporters, Green Girl YYC, and it's a conspiracy podcast. Dave, I think, honestly, what we need to do is have a bit of a discussion around the main star of this movie. Mm, Lassie's cousin. The dog? Dog? (laughs) The correct, yeah. We need to talk about dog, okay? <laughs> we need to talk about dog, which is the name of the character dog. of a dog in, in this movie, which apparently they painted black. They spray painted it well, black. Well, Lassie wasn't black. Also, that, that type of dog is not black, are they? Correct. That's why they, had to, that's why they had to spray paint it black. <laughs> what do you want? A black collie. Smart. No, I'm talking about, of course, Mr. Jonathan Wayne. The Duke. John, actually, Mr. Marion John Wayne, I think is his first name, is actually Marion. No, his real name, hold on, uh, Marion Robert Morrison, you mean. Right. Marion Robert Morrison. So we might be related because there is Morrisons in my family tree. You know, so we, I could tell by <laughs> looking at you. That is interesting. Yeah. You do walk with a hitch. I, 
I do like. Uh, let me try. Let me try and do this. I'm gonna, I'm actually going to stand up and do a visual thing that no one can see on this podcast. The thing is, the camera is going to be pointed at your crotch. Okay, I'm going to close my eyes. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> but 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 I what, what I like. I don't know if he's like John Wayne stands like like that. Like he just like weirdly throws out his hip right so far to the left. You all heard that, right, that, Kyle? Oh yeah, you Kyle heard that hip creak. Yeah, put some hip into it. All right, let's get oil can, oil can. That's probably what I would need to do in that scenario. Get some good old fashioned foley. So I need to know your history with John Wayne because I think that there's going to be a lot of unpacking and context we need to provide to this movie for it to even make sense in 1971. His career, where he was at, and his impact on movies. But I, I yeah, you go first. What is your uh, history with John Wayne. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say I don't have a history with John Wayne because everybody has a history with John Wayne. We spent an amazing night together in New York one autumn. I've never forgotten it. I mean, he's pantomimed and troped in like right. still today. Yeah. Still, yeah. So he transcends his character, or I mean, it will turn out that he's probably exactly who he appears to be on screen, but his movie persona has become sort of. Uh, Defining in American culture, you could actually argue that American culture defined itself by John Wayne. There's something very, yeah, yeah, there's something very. I would say, I think honestly, like something we brought up last week was the myth of the cowboy, right? Yes, and I think that John Wayne absolutely is rolled into that whole myth of what America thinks the cowboy was. Simultaneously, I do think. And someone has probably either written this book or is writing this book about how the, I don't know, the popularity of John Wayne also coincides with the patriotism of a certain breed of American oh, yeah. and how they view themselves. Yes. Like, it is all wrapped up into one thing. Yes. And, uh, you know, and we'll bring up, I mean, we may as well get into it uh, as he's growing up. You know what I think was the most surprising thing uh, considering mm-hmm. this yeah, Americanism? I mean, we we all yeah. know he he owned stocks in MAGA hats, but- he was actually kind of like a scholar when he was growing up, which is really weird. Yeah. An athletic scholarship, but he was also in like the debate club and red law. Lo- like, I don't know. He's a very strange cat. He's like a Clint Eastwood character, right? A like little both bit. him and, and Wayne have just like fascinating like backstories. And it's like, oh, you don't really fit into this box that I wouldn't necessarily have put you in originally. I mean, you could even argue maybe that John Wayne built and defined the box that we now put him in. Because uh, right, there's right, something, right. like you said, there's something that evolved as he evolved in Hollywood and Hollywood itself was evolving. He was just the right shoehorn or something. There, there's something that they're intrinsically connected. But he missed out on killing people in World War II. And I think, I think it's important to bring that up because it seems like that's around the time that this John Wayne-ism actually starts to really become prevalent. And as we come out of World War II and all of these... Uh, FBI run and later McCarthy controlled entertainment films came out. He's the forefront. He is now pitched mm-hmm. as American idealism, right? Like right. he's yeah, he's a, a settler, a car carrying conservative, like member of the Republican Party, America first. Like wanted to promote the values of America, whatever that means to the person that is saying it. I am by no means a John Wayne scholar, but from doing the research, he does like a dozen or so movies, like. I don't know if in the, uh, as far back as the 20s, but definitely no. in the early 30s. Yes. He's not super popular for the first little bit and then kind of hits in the mid 30s. War breaks out in 39 and that's when his star like just kind of completely goes mostly with his partnership with John Ford first 
and then just kind of explodes from there. He did one film, I can't remember what it's called, that is now considered a classic, uh, The Big Trail with Raoul Walsh. I don't know who that director mm-hmm. is, but apparently that was the record, that was the water world of 1930. It cost $2,930,000 oh. to make, which is a lot of $1930. And this is like right at the forefront of the Great Depression. But the fascinating thing is the reason why this thing bombed is that the cost was because they shot it both on 35 and 70 mil. Oh my God. And, okay. uh, and the theaters couldn't play the fucking movie. <laughs> they weren't equipped <laughs> with the right projectors. So it just right, couldn't right, right. be shown. Uh, but according to Wikipedia, people who ha- have watched it, apparently it's actually a good film. I've never sure. even heard of it before. But, but apparently because that flopped so hard in 1930, that's why he became a bit actor until the war broke out. So he, right. he really was... Yeah, when's his next breakout? 39? I can't 39, remember. probably with uh, Stagecoach. Stagecoach, yeah, I think so. Um, so, he kind of disappeared for a decade, and then he is Hollywood. Uh, like, uh, Americana Hollywood. This is the big thing. I've been really trying to think about this. I- I'd heard this statistic before, but he is like this unique figure in Hollywood in that there is a 30-year run where I think it's only except two of his films, like make it in like, I forget if it's like the top 25 or the top 30 films at the box office. And literally nobody else has been able to ever do that. Like not even come close to doing that. I was even trying to think like nowadays, is there anyone who's had like a, like a significant, even like decade run where they still make like hit movies? And Tom Cruise is really the only one I can kind of think of. Hanks, yeah, even Tom Hanks kind of. Not making Hanks could, yeah. puts in good, yeah, but it's not making like billion dollar movies like the Mission Impossible movies and stuff like that. Uh, um, with a 50 year old actor, of course. <laughs> well, he's got a 20 year run, so maybe he's uh, he could be getting close. I just watched Fast Night, I gotta say, he is not a good actor. You don't say, yeah, you know what? We might be talking a little bit more about that when we talk about this movie <laughs> that we're talking about. Uh, yeah, no, he's definitely successful and. And whether that's out of um, whether that's out of any talent or ability on his own, the environment which he's growing up, um, post-war Americana anti-communism, white supremacy, because this is all just as the like it's going into the civil rights movement. Who knows? It's a it's a cauldron of different. In- I think issues. so too. I think honestly, John Wayne, for the most part, is very similar to me, like Jason Statham is today, only in as far as like. When I know Jason Statham is in a movie, I kind of know what I'm getting you know into. Exactly like, you know what, what I mean? <laughs> like, I know that it's not going to be like this amazing acting piece from Jason Statham. He's going to run around, he's going to shoot people, there's going to be some action sequences. I know what I'm getting into. And John Wayne is basically the same thing. There's going to be some shoot 'em ups, there's going to be some one liners. His hip is going to be like all the way across the screen and widescreen. So, like, I know that that's, yeah, that's John Wayne. I'm going to see John Wayne. But Jason Statham can't ride a horse. Yeah, he's. He's the proto, proto superhero, you know, mm-hmm. there's, I think that's where that overused word, this transcendence out of movie screens and into cultural importance comes. You're right. I mean, there's something predictable, even if I, again, I haven't watched all of the movies, so I don't know if the movies themselves are predictable, but likely they are. He's going to oh, yeah. take over a situation and he's going to win it and he's going to win it on his terms. And that's the good old-fashioned American way. That's how you do it. 100%. I, I looked this up because I was like, I was just super curious. I literally typed into Google, how many times has John Wayne died in a film? Uh, the answer, by the way, is eight. Eight? That's higher than I thought. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to go zero. I know. Yeah. 
Uh, five of those in non-Western films, three of those in Western oh, films. Wow. So, I, and I only bring that up to like try and strengthen your point that like by and large, when I am going to a like John Wayne above the title starring in this movie, he's probably going to make it to the end. He's probably going to kill the bad guy. <laughs> like I know that that's what's going to happen. Yes, yes. I mean, the whole way through. Oh, we haven't watched this movie yet, but I'm going to assume mm-hmm. that the whole way yeah. through watching this film. I am not going to worry whether he's going yeah. to win or not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Talking about that, have you ever seen a John Wayne movie? I don't know. I recognize all of the titles. I mean, not all. He's made a lot of movies, but all of the big ones that are listed under his uh, his umbrella, I recognize so many of them, but I don't mm-hmm. get a visual memory of any of the films. So, I actually don't know if I've sat down and watched any of them or if I just know them um, by association, some of the taglines, you know, saying partner, uh, you know, and the, yeah. the way he looks, the way he hitches, the way he moves, um, what he does, what he says. But I, I couldn't tell you if I've watched, yeah, The Searchers, Stagecoach. So I did a little preparation this week. This week. <laughs> because, yeah, this week. From what I'd heard about this movie, I did a little bit of reading up on it. And some of the negative reaction around this movie kind of comments on the fact that it feels like such a throwback to like a 1950s Western rather than it feeling like a modern take on on the Western genre. So because I'd heard that, I was like, well, maybe I should just get a better sense of like what were the Western films that John Wayne was making in the 50s. So I watched two of them, one being The Searchers, the other one being Rio Bravo. And The Searchers is revered by a lot of people, a lot of critics, as the best Western ever made. So get ready to write in your letters because I was so lukewarm on the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't hear. So the the two big things against it is that it is so overtly racist that it's just like, I can't (laughs) really get into this because one, he plays a Confederate soldier coming back from the war. And I'm supposed to feel sorry for and he's stolen some gold from somewhere. And then he gets to be super racist to a bunch of Indians, the main person of which is a german dress up to be an indian Excellent. which is just like weirdly <laughs> off-putting though the worst thing is this though well not the worst thing <laughs> the complicated thing is that directed by john ford and the few john ford movies i've seen i've always come away with the same impression which is your movies are gorgeous to look at they're framed beautifully they're they are blocked beautifully you know exactly where to put them, like the way it moves. It's beautiful. Literally every frame is a painting and they hate his worldview. Mm. Like every thing inside the movie like drives me nuts. But the movie itself is so beautiful to look at. So there was this disconnect where like I enjoyed like the watching of it. I was never bored. But at the same time, I was like this message of like, wasn't it so good back th- mm. at, at this time? And like, wasn't it bad when we like when the South lost the war? I was like, oh, I don't really love the message that this movie has for me on the flip side howard hawks is rio bravo fucking loved it i thought it was so good <laughs> has um dean martin as the second nice. lead in it a young uh, a very young say, dean martin because i it became a i sock. always have in my <laughs> well it, it is which uh weirdly enough he actually never drank in real life that was all oh, an interesting that he did yeah interesting enough yeah but he's so young in the movie that for the first like 40 minutes like 
this guy really reminds me of Dean Martin, but when is Dean Martin showing up? It's like, oh, that is Dean Martin. Weird. There's this weird disconnect. It, I couldn't get it into my head because I think of Dean Martin from the 70s. From when he's the like roast. Almost, yeah. Yeah, from the roast. Like, yeah. that's my mind of what Dean Martin looks like. So while it's not like as beautiful looking as The Searchers, I just think it's a fun movie to watch. It's a good hangout movie. I have a feeling you, David, would probably not like it because not really much happens. <laughs> but it's just fun watching the characters interact with each other for like two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. It is. It's a long movie. Just a couple guys just, talking to each other. Well, they have to give time for Dean Martin to sing in halfway through the middle of it. So <laughs> they gonna have ask. to do it. Anyway, so I really, really like that. But what that tipped me off is I actually think this is formulated which Westerns I like and which Westerns I normally dislike. And I think I like Westerns more when they take place in like one location. Mm. And it's almost like a standoff. So, like, I love High Noon. Rio Bravo is basically... It's basically High Noon without, like, the tension of people about to come. It's like a standoff between these two parties on opposite sides of the town. I'm trying to think of other ones. Oh, well, I mean, even, like, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, it really just takes place in that one little town. Like, they're not going on, like, an epic journey or anything yeah. like that at all. So, yeah. I've come to the conclusion, like, yeah, I like Westerns, but I don't like it when they leave the town. Yeah. They should just stay in the town the entire time. Well, yeah, the counterpoint, too, is Wild Rovers. Mm-hmm. What a piece mm-hmm. of shit. Well, they're just yeah. dragging their sorry asses across the plains. It's like, yeah, the the the, the photography is beautiful, but like, I just want them to get to where they're going. <laughs> like, just be do done. something. Which I'm, I'm over yeah. it. I guess to, just to finish off my thought, and then and then you can wrap this up, which is the John Wayne in those movies are is still I, I get it. Like, I understand what his magnetism was because as much as I don't think he's a good actor, he is like a Vin Diesel or another actor who's another actor that. Just really to place himself. Uh, well, Jason Statham, I guess. But uh... yeah, maybe, maybe Jason Statham might be another good example. Which is that the magnetism of their character, like their just natural charisma, is enough to take me in. The Rock, and I, yeah, The Rock. Maybe I mean I think there's certain directors that knew how to use him appropriately, yeah. so that they could be like, we're gonna frame him like this. He's gonna say he's like a little one-liner because again, famously, John Wayne couldn't actually ride a horse, but. <laughs> Well, with a hitch like that, it's hard to hard to move around on top of a moving object. I am not a f- big proponent of what's called today cancel culture. Like, I don't think looking at this that we should burn every uh, celluloid evidence that John Wayne exists. Right. So the question then becomes, how do I watch a film like this within the context of being a white male American in 1950? Well, wait, so it's wait. pause. Why do you have to be a white American? In well, just to, under- to allow the narrative to work. Oh, right, see, without getting so upset that I just punch my TV in the face the first time they <laughs> say something stupid. Right, and right, and right. we've struggled with this this year. 71 has been a very interesting year because we're on this uh, cusp. Actually, it's probably been building through the mid-60s, but uh, you and I are on the cusp of seeing just how much uh, culture is trying to break away from yeah. its past. And so we get such a flip-flop movie to movie of where the director, the writer, or the actors have positioned themselves on the civic realm, right? The 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 spectrum. Oh yeah, I think I think that is really what we're starting to really feel is that there's this push and pull as we kind of go through this year of like, wasn't the past great? Like, no, burn it all down. Like that's kind of like this weird oscillating fan that we keep going with, where it's like Hollywood is trying to figure it out, like which one of this is going to win. Yeah, and I I think that's. And that's the thing that I'm learning uh, with our season this year is that I think I start, and this is why I keep feeling like we need to do a revisit, uh, a revisit episode. And I wasn't ready for this, to be honest with you, when we started this year. I didn't think that it would be so challenging to sit in 1971 
and understand that you know homosexual people are still um, castrated and destroyed. Women aren't right. allowed to manage their own money. African Americans, any black people, any red, yellow, brown, yeah. <laughs> anything other than a pasty white. Uh, don't exist in American cultural uh, acknowledgement. And when they do, it's a caricature, you know, that reinforces stereotypes. You should come to my stand-up set one night. I only deal in stereotypes. These are hard things to digest in uh, 2021 where everybody's upset about anything, you know. If I say the word Korean, there are going to be Korean people who are upset at me that I have no right to talk about being Korean. You know, it's weird. Like we live in a much right, different yeah. era. This is a movie that we haven't watched yet, but I'm hoping I'll be able to pull away from my immediate anger that this guy oh, is a white we'll, we'll supremacist. See. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I guess the only thing I'll say is that I think what is the most interesting about, I guess, 71 in particular I guess I just contrasted with the 80s. Imagine if we had to spend an entire year in the 80s, Dave. Oh, God. But the 80s, I feel like there's all the same problematic stuff, but it's with this veneer of like, but everything is amazing. It's bigger explosions. Uh, and, the, yeah. and the 70s is like, there's still that veneer, the, this, this thing they're struggling with, but they're trying to, I don't know, interact with it a little bit more. If, Not well in a lot of cases, but they're at least trying to confront it. If they had just stopped using lead you know, five years before, <laughs> yeah, you know, this yeah, yeah. could have right. been probably, I mean, there are some of the greatest films maybe of a generation, but you know, it mm -hmm. might've been a little bit more palatable and less severe. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do this. Let's go thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking about Big Jake. You know what I love, Dave, is that when we do these episodes and we spend like 28 minutes talking about not the movie. <laughs> You know it's going to be good because it probably means that we're not going to talk a lot about the movie itself at all. Can't wait. Because we've done so much <laughs> about the context of the movie itself. Oh, Boise. Well, everyone, we are here in the ad read section, but I need to let you know that Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. You know, in Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from, which I, I don't know if there are any American listeners this would probably seem weird to you, but yes, in Canada, there are some places where you don't get to choose. There's only one place to actually buy that from. But in Alberta, you can actually choose where to buy all that. Uh, good fueling. Good, good, good infrastructure. Good no, what, what, what is that called? Those are uh, utilities. <laughs> good good Alberta, utilities. you can choose your utilities. We love ourselves good oligar oligarchy. Love it. Love it so much. If you choose Park Power... You are choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. I feel like if you roll your R's, it's like, Chris, Chris, Chris. <laughs> I personally don't mm. like pruning. Do you prune, Kyle? Like myself or my shrubs outside? Well, if you call it a shrub, it could be yourself too. <laughs> it's like a chia pet down there, Dave. With warmer weather comes yard work. And lots of it. That's why I live in a condo. Prune your trees. 
Prune your shrubs. Clean your eaves troughs. Do you think people still call them that or just gutters? Just, just, yeah, just in Canada, just in Canada. Replace those drafty windows you noticed over the winter. Or you can call Rumi to take care of all your outdoor and indoor spring home maintenance while you fire up the barbecue and relax. I should say summer. Take care of all of your outdoor and indoor summer home maintenance while you fire up the barbecue and relax. Could be fall too. Should I do one for fall? Yeah, yeah. Then we can just put it in there. It's like for all your fall (laughs) needs, we can... Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, or call 1-844-777-7864 and let Rumi's trusted local experts take care of your yard so all you have to do is enjoy it. Are you enjoying it? I was just about to uh, walk into the sprinkler, but I'm scared. Looks cold. Woof. Uh, Dave... I don't know. I don't know how to talk about this movie effectively. Dog? Well, let's let's just talk about dog. I'm gonna you. I'm gonna throw you under the bus <laughs> first. So, what do you think of the movie Big Jake? Uh, my first note I wrote down is racism. That is <laughs> <laughs> just just the overarching umbrella racism. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, that is not a bit. That is actually the first thing I thought of writing. Um, I don't know what wh- you know. Well, like you brought up at the beginning of this episode, the introduction of this film tells you everything you can expect from this film, which is mm-hmm. uh, it is a weird, shitty montage comparing all of the terrible technological advancements, missing the good old days of riding a fucking horse. With a bunch of white guys just pillaging. And they just keep cutting back and forth, you know? I, I don't remember the exact examples, but like, oh, remember when there was no electricity? It was much better than, you know, lantern fire. That's not exactly what happened. And from there, that's probably the high point of the film. Uh, because I got to see, you know, a streetcar. <laughs> <laughs> but, and you also, though, got to be told that, wasn't it great when we could go kill engines and we didn't have to worry about it oh my god did you notice how annoying i mean now we're nitpicking but why do the uh, opening cut cutaways in black and white introduce half the villains in black and white and then all of a sudden know, flip the, the color weird, it goes into color it's so weird like i get the idea of them also being on black and white but then yeah, why not there should be a, something a, 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 something official that happens to bring us into yeah, like color, Why not right? do the last guy and then saturate it if you're going to go into color? I mean, there are so many better ways to do this. Here's the thing. I do actually want you to tell me a little bit more about your impressions, but I do think we need to just deconstruct that opening bit just a, for a quick second because I actually agree with you. I think had this movie just opened with those guys riding into the farm type of thing i think that is actually a much better way to open this movie without all this preamble i and i think we've talked about this before and now i'm going to forget who i credited uh originally but there's this idea that i keep returning to that a movie i initially started a movie with goodwill right <laughs> but when the movie starts that way like you just described like was it all better back then like look at all these examples of great things that were happening back then and they're actually kind of awful examples my goodwill kind of drops and then it takes a long time for me to actually get goodwill back 
So I feel like if they just removed all of that and we just get into the action sequence, I would have probably been with this movie a little bit more rather than being like, I've, I'm rejecting the premise of this movie from the very beginning. The the intro is literally the visualization of Make America Great Again. It, right. That's uh, You're watching it and I, I can't even remember if, I think all of the technological advancements are not even credited to American ingenuity. And all they're talking about was that you know, it was easier when you had a horse. It's the strangest thing. And then because this is, I think you brought this up too. This is a movie that's trying to remind us that movies and Westerns were better in the 50s, but it is aware that it has to appeal to a 70s audience. So it right. is fucking violent, you know, it is shockingly violent. That opening scene where that raiding team comes into this calm, idyllic, farm uh villa although you know we have problematic racial tropes and and very strange right. shitty side characters and they just man they go to they graphically murder i don't know 15 people in the first three minutes <laughs> randomly mm -hmm. you have no context to who any of these people are which is even more bizarre when you do know like how much john wayne hated the violence allegedly. in american movies in the 70s allegedly allegedly, yeah, allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so that was the other thing that stuck out me, uh, stuck out for me right at the beginning, which is this was set up, you know, it's got a narrator, you've got an introduction, really corny introduction. Well, this villain loves to use a machete because he loves the gore, you know, like awful. Uh, so that's so 50s, right? Uh, even earlier, 30s. Um, I'm surprised they didn't just do uh, place cards and text. And then as soon as the action, quote unquote, starts, this is on par with like a Dirty Harry type of thing. I mean, you, you almost see everything. The only thing they cut away is the machete work, but everybody else, right. you see the whole thing where people are just getting gunned down randomly, carelessly. I always prefer seeing the whole thing. And because it's so careless, there's no emotional <laughs> resonance to it. Like I, I want to care that innocent people are getting murdered, but I don't because I have no idea who anybody is. It's just... It's like right. this film. We haven't had the chance to understand. Yeah, John just walked are. up to me and punched me in my face and I'm supposed to like it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of problems with this movie. I think the majority of them come from the script. I will say up front, like we're being super negative right now. I will most likely be more positive on this than Dave, I think, um, at the end of this, because there are some things that I do enjoy about this movie. But I think the way it sets itself up is it's shooting itself in its own foot. It's trying to be this throwback, but it really isn't not in not not in like the actual substance of the movie but this is my conspiracy theory about this is that this was a script that was written and john wayne was like i want this movie somehow it came across his desk or something it's like i want to star in this movie and then they had to like go like shit how do we make this into a john wayne movie i think that is kind of what's going on here so they maybe added different things or changed some different elements because I think actually the biggest thing that doesn't really make sense to me is the fact that this is the grandfather going after his grandson rather than being the father going after his own yeah. son. And so I think it's because that was probably who the original main character was. And even though that is actually John Wayne's son, yeah. <laughs> they're like, no, you're too old to realistically portray this boy's father. So we're going to change it to the grandfather and you've just randomly not gone and seen any of your family for 15 years as that's building i kept thinking is this a sequel you know because right you know he's he's old and and he apparently has this rep and every, he has uh, this little cast troop of actors so they've all right. worked together for they've 20 all worked years with john wayne before yeah so the way they even set up with each other whether that's again yeah is it in the script or is it just because they're taking this all for granted 
the audience might because they've watched every fucking John Wayne film ever made and they're likely all the same. They start, yeah, and I'm like, why is it a, an, uh, an estranged grandfather? Like, why isn't it that yeah. they introduce the dad and he's weak and he gets shot and you don't care? Yeah, and then when they introduce John Wayne, he's got the sharpest pocket knife ever created. I mean, he cuts down a tree nearly, but with his wrist flick. It's so, not even cartoony, it was so stupid. I, I just, I was kind of caught and I was like, am I supposed to know who any of these people are? Like the way they talk right. about him, you know, I, I thought, yeah. so Google. You're supposed to know it because all the shorthand is like, yeah, I've seen every John Wayne movie, so I get it. I, I know say, what's yeah. going so on. So I Googled it. I was like, is this a sequel? And it tur- yeah, it turns out they're just all the same. So by the time 1971 rolls around, you're like, oh, I know. Hey, of course he's tough. He's John Wayne. Yeah. How do these guys not know who John Wayne is? Because it's a story, mm-hmm. you fucking idiots. You're supposed to explain <laughs> stuff, you know? So here's the thing. Like I mentioned, there, there are some elements of this I like. I actually do enjoy the fact that this takes place in 1909. Like that concept is cool to me because you could play around with this, like the mechanization of the uh, cars now being available, yeah, like more advanced automatic shotguns guns, yep. are there, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if they really do much with that, but I thought the that concept was like, okay, cool. You could do some interesting set pieces with, with these things. Also, why I hate that opening bit so much is that every character has to remind you, hey, man, it's 1909. Yeah. Like, they say it's like at least five times at the movie. I was like, okay, I get it. It's 1909. You've said this multiple times. It's like that trope that I kind of hate. It, it happens in a lot through the 90s. Like, man, it's 1998. Give it the times. <laughs> like, okay, like settle down. I had to Google how much a million dollars was when they introduced the ransom because I was like, that is yeah. a, that sounds like a lot of money in 1909 because they, they've oh, reminded yeah. me several times that this is 1909 and they were like, it's a million bucks. I'm like, what the fuck? So I Googled it. Apparently, it's $29 million. And she's like, yeah, yeah. here's a box of cash. I just had a link. I know. It's like, <laughs> wait, whoa. <laughs> like, how do you just have that laying around? The other thing that I don't know, I go back and forth with this. I forget the exact statistics now, but it depends on what denomination those bills are in. Oh, yeah. The size and because weight. If we, yeah, because if they're $20 bills, no, you, the, that is like a ton. <laughs> like literally, like it'd be a thousand pounds that you're lugging around. If it was in hundreds, it's probably doable. I think it was like 50 pounds or but something that money yeah, would weigh. It wouldn't need a chest. So it depends on what the denomination is. This is that's a nitpick. I'm going to say that front because even modern movies to do this all the time. It's like we have a million dollars in these duffel bags. Like you don't, but okay. I mean, we're if you're watching Schmigadoon, which is a great show. Yeah. You know, if everything costs a dollar, right? You could ransom a kid for like a hundred bucks, and it's like, yeah, that's a that's a small fortune. That's a lot. Yeah. Million dollars. But a million dollars is a number that's written. I can get a a hundred root beer floats out of that. (laughs) A million dollars is a number that's a 1971 audience hook, right? Where people people are like, oh shit, that's a lot of money. But again, it's like a million dollar talk, like, whoa, a million (laughs) dollars. So I, here's the thing. I'm being so petty. I (laughs) I haven't even talked about the movie. I'm just going scene by scene. I, and I know there's going to be pushback again. I fully support that John Wayne is not a great actor, but even at whatever he was, 70-something at this point, or at least in his late 60s, there is something, there's a magnetism to it. I do like a lot of his like one-liners that he gets in this movie, but I can also, I feel you can tell he's dying. Oh, yeah. Like, there is a pain in his face that is not from the character being in pain. It's like, he looks like he is hurting just walking around well, in this movie. Well, I was going to bring it up in our uh, trivia, but... Did you read that in 1964 he had lung cancer and they removed his entire left lung? 
Oh, that I did not know. So I know the story about him playing Genghis Khan in that like be- like terrible movie, and everyone died of cancer because they did it in like radiated soil. Oh, well, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, he was a chain smoker. They took so he, at this point, he has no left lung. Is missing four ribs. So whether right. I mean he's going to die of cancer after, which which is unfortunate, right? Because nobody yeah. should suffer, but uh, he is suffering, and the body doubles are hilarious. But it's because yeah, because it's like. They're very clearly not yeah, him. Yeah. But I mean, he, he can hardly walk and can tell. I started wondering if the hitch is after, but it turns out it was designed when he was becoming a Western thing. There's a few scenes that actually work that are actually kind of funny. There's a couple of dramatic scenes that I think even work too. But the whole like journey there, I'm not really all that invested in. I hate that opening thing. Like We've mentioned that now four or five times. Maureen O'Hara is, I think, wasted in this movie. I think it's like, why bring her on if you're only going to use her for like five minutes? I don't think that either of his sons can act very well uh but richard boone as like the main villain phenomenal i was like yes i totally get that you are the evil person in this movie <laughs> you you've probably done it like a dozen or so times the final gunfight again there's certain sequences this is actually really working for me and then there's the 1970 ness of it that kind of gets in its way i'm like okay that's a little bit fake looking and this doesn't entirely hold up so it's not like a a complete like waste of time but it's also not a good movie i don't think it's not one of my favorite john wayne movies that i have that i've watched what's the right way to put this yeah i agree in that if like like everything we've been talking about this year if we were to pull out parts that we think are acceptable there are several pieces of there are several pieces of this puzzle that could be reworked into a better film but evaluating it as a finished project this thing is not quite unwatchable but it is uh, on top of its problems as a film it's quite offensive i mean the way they treat you know first nations people indigenous people native people animals fuck they torture a bunch of animals in this again women he the whole uh subtext of him punching his actual sons in the face throughout this film it's weird like it's yeah. he's constantly punching and belittling them and you're like why yeah i actually want to get into this even more so after we do our kind of backstory stuff here because i think that's the crux of it there is this like well i, I mean it is conservatism but it's really republicanism that dominates this film that is just pulling me out at every step of the way and so that's my own baggage i think a little bit to this but it's just like Boy, oh boy, like it's very overt, like why you're making this movie as a statement piece, knowing who this is, this is for. Uh, and it turns out it's not for me. <laughs> That's who this movie is for. It's not made for me. Because as some of the people on YouTube, as I sent you some YouTube oh videos, comments the, off. the comments John off. Wayne lovers and apologists love this movie. So what am I to say? I mean, if you always dreamed of having a kid so that you could force them to be a man with your fist then this is the movie for right. you. I've used force to fist men, but that's as far as I've gone. Uh, there's a reason why we attach... I think on his 18th birthday, that is how you welcome... <laughs> your, you, know, your... you say happy birthday to your son. It's like, happy birthday, son. Bam! 18 Just punches. Like... Yeah, there's a reason why we attach now the term toxic to masculinity. Mm-hmm. And this is a, cr- a prime example of that, which is you have this superhero man uh, of John Wayne who can kill anything, shoot anything... Outwit a car with a horse. Like some of the stuff in this just doesn't make any sense. And throughout the whole film, he's belittling other men and punching his sons or grandsons in this case. Oh, no, Mm. sons? Sons. Sons. 
in the face to teach him a lesson about how to be a man. And in the end, we have the you know infamous freeze frame that they get it and everyone's smiling as they leave a bloody massacre. It's such a weird like. I don't know, 60s sitcom ending. Oh it's literally God. a freeze frame as the credits go. Like like, everybody's <laughs> beaming, you know, they, like his so-called best friend who's uh, an Indian has been brutally chopped to death. His dog, dog, yeah. has been chopped to death. And they're like, well, it's time to go on home. You're like, what the fuck? My grandson is going to have a lifetime of trauma. Yeah. No, he won't. We'll just punch it out of him. Right? Like, yeah, I don't know. But sad, I think sadly, yeah, the build up to the final uh, fight scene, as stupid as it is to like ninja your son around a horse to get him into a sniping position, that's really dumb. But like the build up to that is quite interesting. Even though I kind of knew that's probably what was happening, him having a shower with a shotgun so he could kill the assailant is like, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Like, I, I, well, that's the thing. <laughs> that's a John Wayneism, but whatever, it's fun. Well, and that's th- these are things that have been built into what we like about action films today. Like you know, uh, yeah. there are fun moments in this if you can just uh, punch the racism out of your brain for a second. Right. And right. Um, I, I think that's what gave me a lot of conflict. So the the I was my eyes were rolling so hard, and I fought to not turn the movie off for the first hour, but. It strings you along, and then as they get into the big climax, uh, starting with the uh, the town, the town sequence is actually pretty good because there's some interplay between, like a chess game between yeah, all these. See what they said? It? It's like I, like I like when they just stay in one yeah. place. That's the yeah, fun once stuff. Yeah, they're in Western's. the town, they finally get to the town, and they're playing this uh, yeah game of cat and mouse. There's all these new uh, sub uh, sorry secondary villains that appear. And it, you know, you get, that's kind of fun. You see them working uh, as a ragtag team, playing off each other's strengths and weakness. I mean, this is our classic now uh, formulaic yeah. action movie writing. I'm going to do one more little nitpick. It's really nothing to do with this movie. This is another like movie wide thing. He gets a can of peaches and he like, <laughs> he's like almost sticks it to his mouth and he never actually eats the peaches. I'm like, just eat the peaches. Just eat the food. <laughs> People in season like never actually eat the thing that they're playing around with. Drive me nuts. Oh. You know, think of, like it's like our podcast. Think of all the mouth sounds yeah. that would appear on the audio. I Just once I was the Joey next chowing down on some peaches. <laughs> Call me by your Wayne. So Big Jake was released on May 26th of 1971. It is currently rated 7.1 on IMDb. Wow. It has a 57 on Metacritic. And then over on Rotten Tomatoes from seven critics, it's at 71%. Wow. So no one has rated this movie. And uh, with 10,000 plus users, it's at 85%. Holy shit. Again, not a huge amount of people, but like that's a, enough. That's a good segment of people. It is available on DVD and Blu-ray. You can also buy and rent it on iTunes. You can also buy or rent it on YouTube. In Canada, there's not really a place to stream it, though. I really wanted there to be like a way more, as far as like the lead-up to this movie... There's not a lot written about this movie. Like, there's not a whole lot that you can find. Meaning, like, I don't really know what its budget was. I do know that it made seven and a half million dollars. Uh, so seven and a half ransoms is what it made, which is great. So fifty million dollars is what that is with inflation. Its plot description is: In 1909, when John Fane's gang kidnaps Jacob McCandles' grandson and holds him for ransom, Big Jake sets out to rescue the boy. It, star- it stars John Wayne as Jacob McCandles, Richard Boone as John Fane, Patrick Wayne as James McCandles, Christopher Mitchum as Michael McCandles, Ethan Wayne as little Jake McCandles. 
<laughs> I hope there's there's gonna and, be and one Maureen more. O'Hara, and Maureen O'Hara is Martha McCandles. <laughs> this is a lot of McCandles in a row. They should have. That's, that's so what funny. they should have named this film. And star and starring Dave and Kyle McCandles. <laughs> anything you want to say about those actors? I think we've talked about John Wayne a lot, but anything that we want to talk about as far as any of the other people? No, go? I mean I got mostly stuck on John Wayne. Uh, the only I just want to add. I mean, John was just too big, so apparently he got all of his mannerisms and his cowboyness because his uh, his acting coach Tom Mix, I think, was a film star at the time, actually knew Wyatt Earp, and these what? are things. Yeah, oh my, they were God. like his best friends, the actual Wyatt Earp, and that's allegedly where all of the mannerisms come from. You know, it, it, it's always. <laughs> humbling to think about that you know when you look at the span of time like Wyatt Earp to me sounds like 300 years ago but it's what I don't know we'll say 200 years ago but there would have been overlap then like the person who taught John Wayne would have been able to know him just because of you know how time works unless you're shot or got dysentery or something I mean Kurt Russell did look very trail so that is a very (laughs) very high chance yeah I'm pretty sure Wyatt Earp was around in the 1980s that's a good movie though Tombstone I uh, mm-hmm. I'll stand by that. Which actually is a weird connection with that. Oh, <laughs> with okay. Tombstone. Um, th- I can't remember if there's anything else. I mean, we already talked about uh, John Wayne's personality. I mean, most people will know the Playboy. So he he basically verbatim called himself a proponent of white supremacism. Whether mm-hmm. that's in or out of context, I don't know. Right? We don't know how the Playboy report and allegedly Playboy was actually a, 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 res, a reputable. Yeah. It was very different back when it first came out. Yeah. So, you know, is this, are these leading questions, you know, uh, who knows, but he's literally quoted about saying that he believes in white supremacism. Uh, he was pro Vietnam, which is very mm-hmm. rare. And we don't see this now in modern uh, celebrities. Nobody's allowed to be on the right. Uh, otherwise you get kicked out of, uh, you know, celebrity status. So, it's fascinating. So he uh, apparently actively participated in Huac and McCarthy's uh, cleaning yeah, out. I mean, this is why, like, as short. far as like the, the like the hippie <laughs> movement and like that kind of stuff, like hated John Wayne. Like not even dislike, like hated John Wayne, and he hated them as much in return of that because John Wayne also held grudges. Case in point, Mister Christopher Mitchum, who plays one of his sons in this movie, who is, of course, the son. Of Robert Mitchum, ah, famous famous actor, who this is how the Tombstone uh, thing gets it. Robert Mitchum actually plays the narrator in Tombstone. Ah, interesting. Robert Mitchum, big in Hollywood. His son comes aboard, uh, as you can hear by that cast. Like two of John Wayne's sons are in this movie, so this is very much nepotism. Hilarious to think about because one of the biggest news stories. Right now in entertainment, as we're recording this, is the whole short film being made by uh, Steven Spielberg's daughter and starring Sean Penn's son and another person that has like, oh, ties that. to Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh boy, we're getting into like the third wave of... Fourth wave. Fourth wave, Kyle. Apparently, I, I don't know all about this, like this is so inside baseball for politics. There was some bill in like the California legislature, some sort of environmental bill that was helping protect something, which Christopher Mitchum supported. And John Wayne believed that if you were an environmentalist, you were against America. So he stopped talking to Christopher Mitchum for the rest of his life. Yes. That is, that is the real John thing Wayne. that happened. Yeah. yeah. He, he, although to be fair, I think that happened and he died like three years later. 
<laughs> yeah, he was dead by 79. Yeah. But Maureen good. O'Hara, the only other big one I know is, is actually another John Wayne movie, which is The Quiet Man. Like, that's the other big movie that I know her from. Uh, John Wayne's children didn't really act all that much going forward. They did, were, did a few other movies, but they never became huge stars themselves. Anyways, this is John Wayne. And we'll, we talked about him at the beginning. I'm sure we'll keep yeah, talking we, we about, talked him, about him. enough. Yeah, let's move so on. written this was written by Harry Julian Fink and R.M. Fink and directed by George Sherman. Dave, do you remember Harry and R.M. Fink? Uh, no. What? You should, because you've actually already mentioned something that they've written oh, this year, which Dirty is Harry. Dirty Harry. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you can go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear like a deeper discussion about themselves, but. Husband and wife team, the the Harry of the writing team uh, had come from an extensive career writing for television westerns, which I think also might point to like the weird tone that is going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Sherman was what I would call a journeyman director, paid, hired, do his job, get get clock in, clock out. Like that was what, his, what he liked to do. Handed a uh, trunk of money. I like big trunks. He uh, started in the props department back in the 20s, worked on a few shorts, became an assistant director in the 30s. By 37, became a director of his first film called Wild Horse Rodeo for Republic Pictures. And from there, he kind of went through a bunch of low-budget westerns. This is when he met John Wayne, when he was trying to really become a name. We've talked about John Wayne ad nauseum here at this point. But I will say the only thing, this as far as other contacts going, where he has added his career. Like you said, Lung had been operated on removed. I think he at this point knew he was dying of stomach cancer. Like, I think he knew that something was going on. Even if he didn't, in 69, he wins the Academy Award for Best Actor for True Grit, which by most people is looked at as being like, it was really a lifetime achievement Oscar that he received because there might have been better performances that happened that year. But he does win the Oscar. He's coming off of that a little bit. He's really disappointed with the state of Hollywood at this time. Although, again, I think it's you, you I like to, I'm going to use the phrase that Dave always likes to say, presumably, because the next year in 72, he does this movie called McHugh, which is literally a Dirty Harry ripoff. <laughs> like, it, it's really just like lone, like police officer going around shooting people. He's trying to like cash in on like the hugeness that was Dirty Harry. He would make like, I think, four other movies, uh, ends with the shootest in 76 and then dies in 79. Although the shootist, again, haven't seen it, but is also considered to be like actually a really great final performance, apparently, uh, because the movie is about a guy dying of stomach cancer. And that's what he was doing at the time. But that's Don Spiegel, right? Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. When I read that part, I was like, maybe I should find this film. But if it's not streaming, I'm not going to pay for it. I I think it's supposed to be good. That's what they say. That's what they say. So they say about a lot of these things. A lot of his regular crew, of course, comes back uh, for, for John Wayne, that is. Maureen O'Hara, this was the fifth film that she and John Wayne did together. And it was kind of a favor that she did it in the first place. Because after she read the script, she didn't want to do it because there was nothing for her to do. Which I agree with. There really isn't much for her to do in this movie. Uh, coming back to George Sherman, though. Oh, actually, and most of her scenes were even cut out of this movie. So she actually had a little bit more. And they were all cut out. Back to George Sherman, though, he made a couple of dozen more films for Republic, then jumped over to Columbia Pictures, then to Universal Pictures. And then basically from the late 50s, he goes freelance and basically just takes jobs where he's wanted or needed, works in television here for a bit. Big Jake would be his very last film that he would do. Even though he did a couple other television projects after this, he was also pretty sick at the time. 
so sick that actually John Wayne had to step in and be director for this movie for vast portions of it. Uh, uncredited, of course, but because of that, yeah, John Wayne. I don't know what scenes John Wayne directed. I'm, I'm sure if we did like a shot-by-shot analysis, we could probably figure it out. But uh, who has the time, right? You might, apparently. <laughs> I might. And uh, yeah, did pretty well at the box office, although even at the time, critics were not a huge fan of this movie. So yeah, like that's kind of the backstory that we have. I think with people like John Wayne, the box office things Doesn't need a matter. bit of an asterisk. Yeah. I mean, if people are just going to watch it, you know, this sounds so bad because uh, I get there's a cultural context thing, but it's how I view Tyler Perry's movies. I, I They're not written for me. I don't understand them, but they fucking make a lot of money. And the yeah. people who love them really love them. And I, you know, try to refrain from having an opinion. I've watched one Medea movie and I vowed I would not watch anymore. But I think that this Hater. is the same thing. Yeah. I'm cancel I'm, culture Dave. I'm cancel culture Dave over here. Oh, it's great. And uh this is the thing with John Wayne. You know, going back to his uh Americana status, he has a congressional gold medal and a presidential medal of freedom. I think after he died, though. Uh, yeah. The second one was. But that's... I, he's a fucking actor, Kyle. <laughs> well, every... Yeah, sure. I know. It's fascinating. It's, it's weird. America's so weird, man. He's America, Dave. Okay? Come on. I know this is not strictly true, but I will say this as a general announcement. Like, how did the average human being not realize that America's culture was on fire? Like, from the 1930s. <laughs> that it was just a fucking dumpster heap. Uh, there are so, like in hindsight, there's so many signs that there's something fundamentally broken by the concept of America. And I, you know, I don't want to throw like capital C capitalism or any of that shit, you know, get too abstract. But the fact that someone like John Wayne is held up as like the greatest American you can be <laughs> is fascinating, right, right. right? It's it's creepy a little bit. I I don't know. I'm actually actually curious. Again, let's say that he does not pass away from stomach cancer. Literally a year after his death, Ronald Reagan is brought in as president of the United States. Um, I'm sure they were friends. I don't know they that. They were, but yeah. He I'm endorsed sure him were. to, he, was, he got Ronald to run for California governor. Right, And right. he was being asked to run. He was like, no actor is going to, yeah. That's what, I, that's what I'm bringing up. I am thoroughly convinced with how beloved Ronald Reagan was, even at the end of his two terms. Not if he could not have gotten like vote for the Duke for for the next oh, yeah. president of the United States, and that would have been like the first, the second like actor to to be president. I'm sure he could have worked. He could have done it. Oh yeah, I, I, whether he would have wanted to, it's hard to dissect who he was in his private life. Apparently, yeah. like many actors in general, he had a huge alcohol and substance abuse problem. So apparently, he was just a huge dick too. But otherwise known as being fun. I mean, if Arnold Schwarzenegger can become a governor of California and we can get Mop Top as the president of the United States, anything is possible <laughs> over there. Honestly, Ronald Reagan, two-term beloved president, was like a bit actor in the 30s. I don't know. Like, what's going on, Kyle? Bedtime for Bonzo, baby. Come on. <laughs> I don't understand. Maybe my problem is I think it's supposed to make sense. I think that is your problem. You're, you're looking for a solution when it's like, no, the thing is, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Just to go through some of these things that I wrote down, I like the fact that in that opening thing that we've mentioned here now is that, um, oh, shoot, I forget which president they talked about. I think it was Taft. But it was like, he was 300 pounds of Republican. I was like, <laughs> all right, there we go. I don't know if this is just me 
th- this score is wild because one, I am convinced it steals from two things. One is Simon and Garfunkel because Scarborough Fair, I am pretty sure, is the recurring theme that is going through this movie mm-hmm. and they're credited nowhere in this movie. Like, but that's the exact same theme. Like, I'm convinced that it's the same theme. Also, in a section, it is stealing pretty, I think, obviously from Mission Impossible. It's like, dun, 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 dun. Like, that is what the music that is playing in the background is like, what is happening in this score? Anyways, that's I me. Zoned a me out thing, so I zoned so hard. I don't remember music, Kyle. I mean, it's not good music, but it's like uh, those two things. Like, why are these two themes happening? I also think, and again, this might be my, me being a bisexual man. It is so weird to hear young guys be like, hey, daddy, how's it going, daddy? I'm like, <laughs> why are you saying it's so weird? Stop it. Um, and then they get punched. So, yeah, yes, there's that. You know, I, I wonder because he was also uh, famously homophobic and anti everything. Mm-hmm. The six, the swinging sixties bring some of these terms into the four, right? Maybe. So I wonder if it's intentionally put in there so he could punch hippies in the face. I mean, the whole Maybe. that whole thing about you, you call me father, or I, you get the knuckles. You know, you're like, what right, the right, fuck right. was that about? But I think, I think it might have been uh, maybe John Wayne wrote it in there just to prove a point. I, I think so. I honestly think so because here are some of the other recurring things that happened. There is, of course, we've said like him consistently punching his children in the face, <laughs> him telling his children. Uh, you, if you haven't learned to respect your elders, it's time to respect your betters. The fact that peace is looked at as being anti-American inside mm-hmm. of this film. And, and just the recurring thing, too, of the whole fact, like, because uh, multiple characters say it's 1909, but it's like, actually, this horse can outrun this car. And actually, this shotgun is better than your automatic pistol. And actually, this thing is better than this thing over here. It just got to the point where it's like, yes, okay, like, the past, <laughs> quote-unquote, is better. It's my thing, though, like, I've talked about this repeatedly. I hate, capital H hate, in modern film, and I have a feeling the new Ghostbusters is going to do this exact same thing, where movies are structured with this nostalgia, nostalgia sheen, where it's like, God, weren't the movies better back in this time? Oh, my God, the movies were so much better. God, I can't, I can't stand movies nowadays because the movies back then were so much better, but there's not even a story inside the movie itself. It's just framed. So it's like, let's bring back things that happened in this movie series 25 years ago, redo the Mad Nauseam, and that's a movie now instead of it being like, I don't know. It just it bugs me when the idea is like everything was better back in the before times and nothing is good nowadays. It's like, what a short-sighted and weird point of view to have. So basically, you will never be hired by Disney to do anything. No, I will that, not. That is their MO. It, yeah. it exactly is their MO. And I know, you know, we've talked about this a few weeks ago with Diamonds Are Forever. And I'm, as Kyle Turner mentioned in that episode, I'm probably going to be proven wrong in this new uh, movie coming out this year by the sounds of it. But that is one of the things I liked about the Daniel Craig James Bond movies, that it was like, yes, we can reference things that happened in the past. That's fine. I'm cool with that. But it's not like, oh, man, boy, do I really wish Sean Connery was James Bond again? Boy, wasn't it great when Sean Connery was Bond? It has never been framed that way. It's been, no, Daniel Craig is Bond. This is his Bond film series. This is what we're doing now. We've updated it for a modern audience. Um, and we can have allusions to the past, but it's not framed in this idea that the past and the uh, Films back then were good, and these ones are actually bad, and we're so sorry we have to release this movie for you, but wasn't it better back then? And that's what this movie feels like to me from start to finish. It's like, boy, weren't Westerns great back in the 50s? I'm so sorry you have to make a Western in the 70s. I'm so sorry that this is what it's like nowadays. And it just puts me off. I don't even think they're saying sorry. I think they're, they're, yeah, figuratively punching in the face and telling you you're wrong. You know, And, and this is them exemplifying everything that was 
better about making uh, watching cowboy movies in the 50s uh, through the lens of you know the 70s film structure and i don't think it's apologetic at all and i don't think it's an homage piece in the sense of uh, a nostalgia i i feel like this is more like rubbing sandpaper in your face the only time i let people call me daddy is when they rub sandpaper in my face where they're just like look you're wrong we're right we've made this film we made it in color and we added some blood because that's what you fucking plebes want. But you know what was better is when I had a my old trusty six six bullet revolver. You keep your fancy, you know, scope scoped uh, sniper rifles yeah. and your fandangled wind up cars. Uh, and all I need is uh, my muscles, this uh, trunk of newspaper. A spoiler alert. And uh, and a dog and a friend Indian, the Indian who does all the work and dies brutally at the end. Uh, for me to walk away smiling with my sons and uh, everybody's better for it. It's frustrating. I, I was yeah. just thinking as you're going on, how interesting, I, this is the machine's fault. If we'd watched this movie, then Wild Rovers, and then- I, I was actually Mr. saying this like- McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I, I, I'm never going to criticize myself, but had I been the one <laughs> to actually make this order, it probably would have made more sense to watch this one first and then slowly kind of see the evolution well, of, of Westerns. It's like yes and no. I, I, I mean, this is the problem with hypotheticals. If we'd watched this first, we would have got the tone that this is what Western movies in 71 were, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we get the opportunity to be ultra critical and ultra petty now, which is great. Yeah, and it really is petty because, again, there are certain things I liked. And maybe that's why I'm also more frustrated because, like, this is a movie that I think could be remade if remade is, wow. a, is a is a is a strong word i just used there i think you could take you could adapt this story into something that i think is very interesting because it's right in there you have all these killers who apparently have all these different ways of killing people and their instruments which doesn't really get they don't use it focused yep. on at all like they say it at the beginning but never never really just the one machete guy. with yeah just yeah. the one machete guy so that could be looked at but the the one line that really stood out to me at the very end that I honestly think you could build an entire movie around is the grandfather, John Wayne, and his grandson. And he asks him, like, are you scared? Like, he asks the grandson, are you scared? And he says, like, yes. And then the grandfather, John Wayne, says, so am I, but don't let them know it. Like, and I know that's the whole, like, be a man, stiff upper lip, but, like, they're in a gunfight, so I get, like, the, the idea behind this. But I think that's an interesting piece. Like, no, like, it's okay to be scared, but you have to have, be courageous and step out. Again, cool thing to build an entire movie around that this movie does not interested in. But I think that there's those elements there that could be played around with into a much more fascinating movie. Yeah, you know, bringing that up and talking about bringing John Wayne into it, if we were to presume any knowledge of the, you know, creation of this thing. Yeah, that line is probably what this movie is supposed to be about. And uh, what it turns out into is just John Wayne walking through life and tougher than nails it's amazing they kept the line in because i'm not sure if john wayne even understood the significance of the line yeah maybe um, not i mean he i was surprised i don't know if you were that he actually got shot and i, I was too I, I have to say like he is shot in some of his other movies as well but he's like again hurting like he is not <laughs> in a good way at the end of this movie until the freeze frame and then right you know, and he's all great and he's like all right let's go home but and that's the other thing like right before that freeze frame Maybe it's because of the journeyman director of this, or there just wasn't someone that was like steering this ship enough. It's such a missed opportunity, I think. This whole movie, he is constantly asked, I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead. 
that's the question that keeps coming up, uh, keeps being asked to him, and he always says, like, not hardly. And then he gets to a point where it's like, the next person who asks me that, I'm going to blow them away. The bad guy at the end is like, I thought you were dead. Shoot him. It's like right there. He should shoot him. Yeah. And he doesn't. And then <laughs> say your line, right? To yeah, the corpse. He just drops dead from, from, from another shot from another character. And it's like, but that, that's what the movie's building up to. I don't get it. Anyways. I think I, I, I think I read that that bit was added for John Wayne because people had presumed that he would never make a movie again at this stage uh-huh. of his career. And so, like we're talking about how this seems like a film that's intentionally trying to tell us that movies were better back when John Wayne made them. I think yeah. that's what the, it's supposed to be kind of like a running joke, which is that you go to the theater and you're like, oh, I didn't know John Wayne was still making Westerns. And then everybody in the film's like, I didn't know you were still in these things. And, well, you know. and I, I would probably have to watch a few more just to see if this is something that he says a lot. But I think it is very specifically a callback to the searchers of when he's asked if he's dead he says not hardly mm. which i think is a weird phrase to say not hardly but that that, that is something he says exactly word for word That's in the right. searchers so That'd it's like oh they're, they're all lines again, from they're probably movies. calling back to all his other movies probably is what's happening in this thing uh that we might not be picking up on yeah it feels like the whole every character relationship feels like that like i mm-hmm. i his weird marriage with uh, his wife, not explained ever. His uh, estrangement. I didn't even realize the two young guys were his sons. They only build up the older son, who's kind of yeah. like laying around in his bed. And when the other two show up, it took me a while to even understand why they were talking to each other and why I was calling him daddy. I thought it was like, I honestly thought it was like a, supposed to be uh, a 60s slang joke, you know, and right, it took right, me a right. couple of punches to the face where I was like, why does he keep hitting this guy? And I was like, oh, he looks really young, but he might be his son. And then it turns out he actually is biologically his son. Yeah. But, but I think that's the thing at this stage, they're, they're an acting troupe. If you've been following and everybody in America, it's like how we got a little stick for Billy Jack. If you already are within the uh, context of a John Wayne fandom, then once you go into this, the names of the characters no longer matter because the relationships are always the same, I suspect. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think it's kind of that throwback in many ways to, like, well, that would be in the 40s and 50s as well. Are, are you familiar with Abbott and Costello? Yes. Like the comedy duo? Yeah. So they do this string of films. They did a bunch of them, like, I don't know, 20 or so films probably in the 40s and 50s. But it's always like Bud Abbott, Lou Costello but they are playing different characters. Like their character names are different in every movie, but they're, they're just they're Abbott and Costello. Yeah. Like there's nothing different. about. It's just like, now we get to be zookeepers and now we get to be this thing. And now we get to be on a ship and now we get to be over here. But it's like, really, they're just Abbott and Costello and they just need to put them into a situation. And that's kind of what it feels like here too. It's like a bunch of uh, characters. It's like, actually it's in the theater world. It's like summer stock where it's like, it's always the same actors, but in a different production and different things you can start to play off of those tropes. Uh, throughout the summer. I, I don't know why I wrote this, but I have vaudeville question mark, but I think I was picking up on this thing where, yeah, it's not a movie written for the sake of itself. It's, yeah, it's a presentation of essentially a last kick of the can for a group mm-hmm. of old and aging actors that uh, want to say goodbye to their fans. And um, I right. didn't care. Here's the last thing I'll say on this. <laughs> as much of a fan, as much as I am not a fan of John Wayne the person, his politics, his point of view. There are some of his movies that I quite like. I think his persona can work when paired with the right director. 
I am kind of glad in a way that this is not his last movie because as an institution uh, for the people who love what he does, I think this would have been a terrible send off to, to him. <laughs> I just Maybe. do. I think, well, I think without, have, presumably without, the shootest is a better send off than I was going to say without watching the ones that came after. I can't yeah. comment on that. I mean, if this is what the people wanted, then maybe this is the movie they wish he had ended on. Like it sounds yeah. like if he made McHugh, which I've never heard of, and he's going around the city with a with a Magnum. May, might not be a Magnum. Maybe it's a different brand of handgun. Dillinger, actually. <laughs> and uh, maybe that's going to be more offensive to uh, diehard Wanian, yeah. if you want to call him that. I just made that up, but that might be a real thing. A Wanian. Yeah. We're done here. Well, the machine has told us that we need to wrap this up. We're going to move now into Critics' Choice. And neither Roger Ebert or Pauline Kael reviewed this movie, at least not from anything that I can find. It's because they have self-respect. So I've picked two other critics. They are current critics, though. Both of these are from like 2015 or later. Okay. Steve Crum from the Kansas City Kansan. Ooh, this will be unbiased. This says, this is a rowdy shoot-em-up that has the Duke (laughs) boots... That has the Duke in boots striding. <laughs> I can't even say this with a straight face. That has the Duke in boots striding form. <laughs> I'm shocked. I am shocked. It's a rowdy shoot 'em up, Dave. I'm shocked that a review from Kansas would start off by calling this a rowdy shoot 'em up. All right, let's keep going. Yeah. Okay. okay. And then Matt, Matt Brunson from Film Frenzy says. It flies in the face of Wayne's hypocritical statements at the time abhorring the new levels of sex and violence in American cinema. Mm, mm. So nothing quite as astute, I don't think, as a, as a Pauline Kael or a Roger Ebert, but that are, those are some of the, the reviews I could find online. I, I'm just imagining now he's got like a, a gif of y- Yosemite Sam. Like, uh... Wait, stop. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. What did you just call y- that y- character? Yosemite? Yosemite? Yosem- no. <laughs> he's... he's... He's not a Jewish Sam. <laughs> what's Yo, his, Semite Sam. What's his, what's his what is, Yosemite. It's Yosemite. Yosemite. It's Yosemite Sam. Yeah. Yo, Semite. <laughs> you know what my favorite spread on bread is? Is Yosemite. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what Dave, I, and the Duke thought. Uh, what do you think? You can, find, you can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave at VSTheMachine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page, which is letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of the episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Of course, we do not want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. I do want to give a shout out here as well, because on a recent episode of the Scream Scene podcast, uh, we were mentioned multiple times. So thank you to the Scream Scene podcast. It's unfortunately that Dave will, will never watch any of the movies they ever talk about on that show because it's all about horror well, and the evolution of horror. if we knew where we were going next, I, I'm sure that there's going to be an intent to uh, <laughs> destroy my bias about that. Correct. But um, yeah, they were talking about The Mummy. I think that was the tweet. That's right. Yeah. It's a good movie. Uh, because Sarah Rowe, who has been on this show to talk about The Mummy, they're actually now talking about The Mummy on their show. 
uh, and mentioned this in, in the podcast. So that thought it was really nice. So thank you for doing that. But let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, out of five, what would you rate Big Jake? I don't know. I'm torn. <laughs> I I've... just love the fact that literally you always start that way. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's tough. We don't have a, methodo- a me- methodical way of rating these. They're, at least mm-hmm. I don't. It's a very intuitive thing. And so my intuition about John Wayne's politics, this patchwork of a film, wants me to go down to a one. But there are moments of reprieve and there are uh, tones of westernness that actually mm-hmm. make parts of this film watchable. Uh, and then at the end, they freeze frame like a sitcom. So I, I honestly don't know, Kyle. I think I'm going to go above a one. I'm okay. just now debating whether it's worth a two. What did I give? Uh, Wild Rovers. Was it a two? One? One and a half? One? You gave a one to yeah. Wild Rovers. All right, I'll, I'll give this a one and a half. Um, yeah. yeah. It's okay. better than Wild Rovers. I mean, could even... Maybe it's well, let's say, and This know. is a, a Roger Ebert thing, too, where he says, like, ratings are not absolute. They're, they're relative in that, like, yeah, if, I, if you say, is Big Jake a good movie? I'm not saying, like, well, is that a good movie compared to Harold and Maude? And, like... I'm comparing this to other Westerns and other John Wayne stuff. Like, that's really what people are asking when they ask that question. Uh, and for me, yeah, like, if Rio Bravo is a 4.5, this, for me, yeah, is a straight-up 2. I didn't really enjoy it a lot, but like you said, there are some elements that I do enjoy about this movie. It's not a complete, like, travesty. I can't believe I watched this. In many ways, there is very many watchable scenes in this. It just is, I think, burdened by... A bit of its politics, but more so its treatment of like, you know, Everyone. other races other than white people. Everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is going to be fascinating, Dave. Okay. So that ties with Billy Jack and Plaza Suite. So do you think Oof. this is better than Billy Jack? I think it's definitely better than Plaza Suite, probably. Yeah. I mean, uh, Billy Jack's such a weird movie, man. It's, you know, Billy Jack is the hardest one to like, I find to like figure out because. I was, again, never bored with that movie, but it is so batshit insane watching that movie from start to finish. It, it's almost like the inversion of this film. It's like yeah. poor, so poorly constructed, but it had its heart in the right place. And this yeah, film is true. like, does not have a good moral underbelly, but mm-hmm. there are moments that are shot reasonably well. So you're like, I don't know. I think just on... Just to thumb my nose at uh, historic culture, I will put this personally below Billy Jack, but I will commit to not watching either of these films ever <laughs> again. Yeah, so. I I, uh, I'm kind of there with you, to be honest with you. I always go back to this thing. If you force me to choose, right? It's like you have to either watch Billy Jack or Big Jake. <laughs> they even have the oh, same. Oh, I didn't realize how close like, <laughs> we basically were. Yeah, if, you, if I was forced, I would be like, you know what? Billy Jake has like snake dances and <laughs> like weird Jake. improv scenes, it. but Billy Jack, you know, Billy Jack. At least I get to see like a roundhouse kick, and that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's funny that you mixed it up. They they should have called it Billy Jake. I wonder if they knew that'd be funny. But they, that would be funny if they knew. Uh, all right. Well, entering our list then at the number twenty one position is Big Jake. Just for those keeping score at home, Dave. You are now at an average of 2.02. Oh, it's going up. Uh, I am, of course, at an average of 3.12. So I'm a full point above you, which is par for the course. Every movie's good. Every movie's good. You know, everything has its (laughs) points. Like, really, when you think about it. 
You know, at the end of the day, Dave, isn't it amazing that they were able to make a movie? Well, so, uh, <laughs> so fine, fine. Uh, let's put, <laughs> no, not fine. Let's push this button here. I want to see what we are going to be watching here next week. Okay, a movie that I am not familiar with at all. We are going to be watching Red Sun. Mm. Sun is an S-U-N. So, Red Sun. Is, is it a foreign film? Is I don't it, know. Sounds, sounds it interesting. It does sound like a Western, though, weirdly enough. It does enough, sound like, like a Western. Red Sun yeah. setting. I was thinking it could be like a allusion to... No, Red Sun's not necessarily Japanese. Red Sun. It sounds like communism, right? It's oh, like Red Dawn. They, yeah. yeah. I wonder if there is something like with Cold War stuff going on. That no, has. Anyways, I'm, I'm... Whoa, I just hit my microphone. I am interested to see what that is all about next week. And I guess uh, from this point on... Um, God, I guess we should just go into Warp Drive. This guy will not get off of our tail here. Yeah, uh, I just keep thinking of possums. They're so weird, aren't they? Maybe this planet over here has a possum-like species that we can interact with. Call me by your Wayne.